I'm ready to go. One, two, three, four. Seahorses may be Romanized by calling them hippocampi. If you would do the same to shrimp, add garlic, and they're called scampi. <laughs> God, bring it up. I have no pain, dear mother, now. But oh, I am so dry. So connect me to a brewery and leave me there to die. Hear them mermaids on the beach singing real low, each to each. <laughs> and I ought to eat a peach. Would you please reset that in there, will you, Captain, please? Uh, I believe in calling a man by his rightful rank. I didn't say play it, I said return it, but as long as you got it on, keep it on there. At the boarding house where I live, things are getting very old. Long gray hairs in the butter, and the cheese is green with mold. When the dog died, we had sausage. When the cat died, catnip tea. When the landlord died, I left it. Sparibs are too much for me. <laughs> when he sang in choruses, his voice o'ertopped the rest, which is very inartistic, but the public liked that best. That's a salute to Julius LaRosa. <laughs> you don't want to hear any more of these, do you? Oh, I've got a million of them. A million. All right. I'll lay uh, number 976,422 on you. I wish to buy a dog, she said. In f a dog, you sure, is quite well-bred. In fact, I'd like some guarantee he's favored with a pedigree. My charming man, my charming friend, the pet man said, I have a dog that's so well-bred, if he could talk, I'll guarantee he'd never speak to you or to me, for that matter. Hold it, hold it, hold it there, hold it there, hold it there. Eddie's hold it there. And reset that, please. <laughs> hey, listen, one of the things I really enjoyed, though, I had to, hate to say this, but uh, I was uh, the other night I was, you know, sitting there, and, and uh, I had this uh, 
where I was actually doing some writing. You know, I was working away there, and uh, I had uh, turned on this uh, old black and white television set. I keep this old, busted, mean-looking, bad-looking black and white TV set because it has a certain nitty-gritty uh, Roberto Rossellini realism to it. I mean, you know, <laughs> it has this, I like it, you know, it's got this grainy, it really looks. So I had this old rotten TV set, see, and, uh, and it's about three o'clock in the morning and on comes, comes this, uh, this uh, movie. I mean, a real nitty gritty black and white movie that's just fitted for this TV set, see, just, just right for it. And uh, it comes on. And I see all these guys running around. And they're shooting at each other out of the backs of these uh, great big police cars, old police cars. You know, they, you see these old movies. They even have police cars that are convertibles. You ever seen those? You know, with the great big, uh, well, they're 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 big four seater. They're big convertible sedans. You know, with the big canvas top. They're shooting out of the back. And uh, and this guy kept talking to this girl. It was a very scratchy sound. You know, the kind. And they're talking away. And I, and I was looking at this crowd, see, with the, I turned the sound on, see, and I'm watching them. It's a great education to watch ancient movies with the sound down. Because then you don't get sucked into the plot, you see. You can just watch and look at things. Like, for example, this had been shot out somewhere back of Hollywood. And it was shot so early that you saw nothing out there but miles of vacant lots. I mean, vacant lots which today are 26,000 health spas. Uh, 18,000 Ramada inns. And, uh, you know, and here you saw nothing but vacancies. And these guys are running around. There's a street. There's nothing there for miles around. And, and, and what was really great about it, you could see a guy looking out of the house. There was a house over there. And some guy saw that they were shooting this movie out there. And you could see his face in the curtain. He was looking out. He was not in the script. It was just an innocent bystander saying, what the hell are they doing out there? And he's looking out there. And he sees these guys shooting away. So I'm watching this movie. seeing it hit me. One of the things that is rarely said <laughs> in, in, the, in the, passing, uh, the passing parade of, of uh, what could be called, uh, I suppose you might say, evolution of man, and he doesn't really evolve. He just constantly changes. See, that's, that's not the same as evolution. We confuse evolution with change. It ain't the same thing. I mean, the day that the frog, or, or the earliest amphibian, decided he was going to walk around and grow hair on the top of his head, that was... <laughs> Evolution. Somebody wearing, somebody wearing uh, uh, vinyl pants is not evolution. That's just change. So uh, anyway, here's this guy. See, uh, looking out. Uh, you know, somewhere. I mean, this guy's probably been dead forty years, but he's there forever, trapped, looking out of his window. One brief instant. And and then I was hit by another something that's that's another thing. Something that's always kind of intrigued me about this looking at old movies because I'm not an old movie fan I'll have to explain right away from the starts don't immediately write to me and, and say don't you just love Humphrey Bogart no not necessarily no I didn't think he was that great an actor <laughs> he, he did a lot of bad 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 movies a few good ones but he's a cult and so you don't argue with cults it's like arguing with moonies you, you, you can't argue with a cult so, uh, nevertheless, here was, you know, these great old movies. But I'm, I'm fascinated by the houses and all this stuff you see around you. Like one night I was watching on, uh, I believe it was Channel 13, they had an ancient Fritz Murnau 
film of Mur- J. W. Uh, what was his first name? Murnau. Forget the first name, but Murnau. Murnau, you see, was an was a very early German film director. But he didn't direct the way the directors of today direct. Now that doesn't mean he was better. He used a whole different technique and a different view. For example, uh, one of the most famous things that he did was in this uh, this ancient film, great classic film. Uh, now quit nodding your head. You don't know what I'm even talking about. I could say Mickey Mouse, you'd nod your head. Now stop it. <laughs> this is a great ancient film. And he used the sets. See, to say something, most of us use the sets to give a background. And so here it was, the doorman in this famous film. It was a film about a doorman, an ancient doorman for a hotel. And it's a classic. It's, uh, the, it's, it's one of the great seminal films. Emil Jannings played the doorman. He was a great actor of the period. And this doorman had a fantastic mustache which he was very proud of. He was always combing his mustache. He had tremendous sideburns. And it was a very sad film. you got to understand that. But this is, this is the thing. He had this great mustache, and he was old, very old man. And he, he, uh, but he was proud of being out in front of this elegant hotel where all these elegant people would come in all the time with their ancient cars would drive up and they would get out. And by the way, this is what fascinated me looking at this film. Most people look at the film for, you know, the film technique and all that. Where else are you going to see movies of 1914 automobiles in Berlin? I mean, these are really lost and gone great cars, great fantastic-looking automobiles. They had a great automobile. You know that the Germans created a car back in those days that was so big and so it uh, you could have put three, four, maybe five contemporary Rolls-Royces in the luggage compartment of one of these. It was the Horsch. You've never heard of it. Horsch. And it was a tremendous... <laughs> it, was a great, it was like a like a railroad car, really. It was like a locomotive on the roads. And it was very elegant. Tremendous. You stood next to a horse, as a matter of fact. And the the top of the hood of the horse was roughly, if you're an ordinary-sized person, let's say you're a man, you're six feet tall, we'll say, it was roughly the top of the hood was at eye level. That's a lot of car. And here are these ancient horses pulling up and the driving rain. I said to myself, I am looking at Berlin. In the very early 1920s, not a recreation. This is Berlin. And those people walk around. Those are Berlin people. This is a historic period. This was just at the time that Hitler was still walking around the streets wearing his field jacket. He was unknown <laughs> to Murnau, everybody. And I'm looking at this film. See, now here's the thing that was fascinating. The old guy, see, he's got this tremendous coat. And this beautiful coat. It was, it was, it was done, of course, uh, Again, this was a, an impressionistic film, you see. We don't work in impressionism in our films much. This was an impressionistic film. Expressionist, really, is what it was. It was Berlin Expressionist. If you like those little terms, you know, if you love those. Most people are more hung on terms than they are on content, unfortunately. And so he, 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 he used this, this coat. You see, the coat was an enormous coat. By the way, I think that's one of the great failures of modern education, 
is that it spends most of its time classifying. In other words, people learn phrases. Uh, they learn expressionist, art deco. They learn all these phrases. They, they spend very little time understanding what it was about. But they spend a hell of a lot of time classifying. And, you know, so ultimately, the average well-educated person is a card catalog of classifications. But he's confused when you, when you ask him, what, I mean, do you know the Gothic derivation of art deco? No, most of them don't. Oh, what do you mean? That's Carl Lombard. No, it ain't. Nor was it Fred Astaire. And so, nevertheless, here he is, old Murnau, see, dealing with this guy. And this old man is standing in front of the hotel. And he played very big. You see, he was, he was like the general of the hotel. He saw himself this way. He was out in front of this hotel. And he had this fantastic coat that had a huge gold collar, like a military coat. It had big epaulets and everything. No, he didn't have the... But it was a beautiful coat. So it was a great military-type coat. And it had a, had a tremendous hat. And whenever he would... People would come up. He would salute very smartly, a military salute. And he'd salute his neighbors. And he lived in this little house, in you know, a little apartment in the kind of the slums of, of uh, Berlin. But everybody, every day, when he would leave his apartment, he'd have this coat on, a tremendous hat, and he'd salute them, and he was like the biggest man. It was his whole identity, was this, this coat. And he would, he'd take his hands and he'd run them over his mustache, and you could just see he loved this. And so one day, he's out in front of this building. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but it's night, you see, and this rain is driving. He's an old man, big man, you know, he's he's old. Remember, Jennings wasn't old. He's playing old. You you get this feeling like he's an old, lumbering man. But he's beautiful in this coat, tremendous. And this car pulls up in the driving rain. And they have this great big tremendous suitcase up on top of the car in the luggage racks. An enormous suitcase. And he struggles out, you know, in rain, and he's got this slicker, his coat on. And, and uh, of course, it's his job as the doorman to take this this piece of luggage, you see. And he struggles with it. Boy, it rocks him back, and the rain is pouring down. And these people, these elegant people, go sweeping into the hotel, and he struggles in with this this uh, this great big box, and he puts it into the into the lobby. And then, of course, he's all out of breath. You see, he, it's too much for him. See, so he goes back into the kitchen. He sits down for a minute, and the guy gives him a cup of coffee. And just at that moment, the evil, or the let's say the efficient manager, sees him, and he writes something down in his notebook. And he goes, the old guy immediately. He doesn't even see him do this. He gets up and he goes out back, and he's doing his job. He's very conscious, saluting. Well, the next day he is called into the office. Actually, not called in. He arrives at his place that morning with his coat on and standing out in front of the hotel is this tall elegant looking doorman wearing a coat just like his and he staggers back oh my god and sure enough uh, he uh, the a little bus boy comes running out and tells him the manager wants to see him he can't, he doesn't know what to do and they he goes into the manager's office and the manager gives him a note that says thank you very much uh, you've been a wonderful employee of our company, but due to your advanced age, we will give you a job that is more suited to your age. And they took his coat away and locked it in a cabinet. And they gave him a job. What was he? He's an old man. He's now in the men's room with a white coat handing out towels. 
See, we don't have that in America much, the washroom attendant. But that's very, very universal throughout the world. Only in America do we not have this. And then here he is, he's handing out towels now to the very guys he used to salute. He's there handing out towels, and they don't even recognize them. They wash their hands, they smoke cigars, and he is crushed and broken. Yes, the commercial world has done him in. But uh, nevertheless, uh, here is here's this doorman. See, he's 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 in the in the men's room, and he's in a great marble men's room. And I say to myself, "Look at that! Look what you're looking at. This is a rare sight. You are now looking at a 19 whatever it was, 20 or 21 something like that, right in that period. It was immediate post World War One Germany. You are looking at a men's room in 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 Germany in 1920. I'm sure they haven't preserved any of those. And this is the way it looked. It had marble sinks. <laughs> I mean, great marble sinks. Tremendous mirrors that apparently had great bronze frames. And uh, and they had all these these uh, uh, hair dressings. And they had all these elegant lotions all lined up in shelves. And, and the, the man would come over and he'd, he'd brush the, the uh, gentleman off as he gives him the towel. Then he would give him hand lotion. And he oh, really elegant. See, and I'm watching this. I said, my God, look what you're looking at. And of course, all the film buffs are looking at the, uh, at Murnau. I'm looking at what he's recording. <laughs> I mean, let's keep our eye on the donut, friends. Forget the hole. And so, so here's here's the here's this fantastic men's room. I said, my God, I'm looking at a men's room uh, in 1920 or 21. At that point, the old man, see, he he's got to go home now. You see, and and he he can't, he can't go home because if he goes home, his whole world will crumble. Everybody will know he's this. He's he's now no longer the general of the hotel. He is now working in the John, handing out towels. And sure enough, he's sitting there in his little stool. And just as he does this, he gets up to to get some towels or something. When a lady who was one of the one of the uh, neighbors has come down to surprise him, she's in the neighborhood. She wants to surprise him. She sees him there. He's out there getting towels, and she goes ah, and she runs back, and you see her telling all the other people and these gossips are all talking and they're laughing ha ha he's now they've got him now he's just like us ha 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 and they're all laughing because believe me your friends are the quickest to laugh when you are brought down and Murnau knew this and so by the way these were all nice people they were friends but now they're laughing oh boy they're cackling behind their their hands you know and they're cackling and sure enough he comes back home that night and it's terrible everybody's crying and he does not stay home. He goes out of his house, and he goes creeping back to the hotel. It's late at night. Now he's broken. This is just completely broken. He's bent over now, and he's a really an old man now. This terrible shock. But he goes creeping back to the hotel. It's late at night, and he sees the night watchman walking around with his flashlight, and he's got his his uh, time clock that he's put. Did you know they had time clocks? And he's got a time clock. Yes. <laughs> so he's got this little this thing that he punches, you know, that watchmen have, and he waits because he knows his rounds, this old man. And sure enough, he goes by him. He sneaks in. He goes down through the passageways, and now he gets his coat, and he puts his coat on, and he goes through the night 
wearing his great coat. But this is when Murnau really did it. He looks up, and you know, here he is, he's out there. But remember, he's an old man, he's dying, really. He doesn't know it, but he is. And he's staggering, why are you staggering around? So he's a very old man, he's 90 maybe. And he looks up, and he sees the buildings. No longer did the buildings look like buildings. And this is where Murnau really became expressionistic, if you like to categorize it. The buildings are now leaning over, and they are menacing. It's like a great, great jungle of menacing, cubistic, awful-looking, uh, enigmatic monsters leering down at him, and they swirl, and he looks up, and his eyes roll, and and I'm saying to myself, my God, you know, I'm looking at that Berlin of the... Uh, and by the way, it is believed that, that, that films of this kind directly led to Hitler, ultimately. So I don't want to get into that. I mean, you know, this this great... Uh, negative view of life and this angry view of everything. Uh, Brecht and all of them made a guy like, uh, uh, you know, we could get into that. Of course, the people who really made it possible are often the people who are against the thing that actually occurs. Okay? So, but, so I'm watching this old movie, not, not Murnau, just an ordinary movie, when it suddenly hit me. There was a time, apparently, in the world within uh, historically recent times, when all men, all men, wore hats. The minute they walked out of the house, they put on a hat. They wore hats. You know these felt hats? Big felt hats with a brim. And they all looked exactly alike. They wore the same kind of, some of them were a little lighter gray, some of them were a darker gray. <laughs> but they all looked exactly alike. All men wore hats. And I began to be very hat-conscious watching this film. And sure enough, everybody around. There was a scene where, where they finally got the bad guys. See, and the ba By the way, the, the bad guys are riding down the street shooting it out. And what do you think they got on their heads? Hats. <laughs> and ties, by the way. Oh, yes. Uh, so all men, apparently, all the time, wore hats and ties and coats. You know, like suit coats. And so here they are wearing these hats. And it was a scene out in front of the uh, city hall where these guys had been dragged, kicking and fighting. And thousands of people had gathered. You know, they've caught them. And here's this great crowd scene. There's thousands of people, and it looked like a gigantic sea of hats. They're all hats. Everybody had hats on, including the women. But the women's hats were all different. I mean, one woman would have one kind, one would have... But all the men's hats looked identical. Thousands of hats. Hats. And I remember... Do you remember faint in your, in your memory now? Because we have very, very faint memories in America. Our memories are not good. We are not conscious people. And by the way, when we do consciously use memory, like let's uh, write this great book on XY, it's almost always wrong. Because this is not our bag. We're just not historically minded people. And I, I, I just wonder if, if, if uh, how many people out there listening tonight actually remember when they, now this, this was well before my time, I'll have to tell you this, it's never in my time, I never knew anybody that wore hats. I never wore hats. I've never worn a hat in my life, really. You know, maybe a, a ball cap or something like that. But I mean a hat hat, you know, a man hat. 
You know, the kind with the, with the hat band that goes around it? You know, the kind you always see uh, Jimmy Cagney wearing? And Jimmy Cagney's always wearing these hats, and, and the reporters always had them pushed back on the back of their head and all that stuff, but they always had a hat on. But I can't figure out why everybody wore hats. There must have been a reason, you know. Most things, you know, when you go back, when you go back into uh, into costuming, it's fascinating. I, I, uh, one of my most uh, exciting moments I remember as a kid. I was about uh, oh, probably eight or nine. This is real education as opposed to book education. I was about ten, and we went on a field trip. You know how the teacher takes you on a field trip to go to the museum. And all of us went in a bus to the museum. Now, we went to a special museum. We didn't go to the Museum of Natural History nor the Museum of uh, Modern Art. We went to the Museum of Science and Industry, which is a fantastic museum in Chicago, and there is no parallel to it in New York. We have a few little ones like it, but this is a vast museum, fantastic. What's in it? Well, practically everything. And I'll tell you one of the things that's in it. There is a tremendous display, a great case that runs maybe a half a block and these are authentic, of actual clothing from, say, 1510. Not models reproduced. The real thing. They, and they, they had an entire case there filled with 500 years of shoes, actual shoes. Well, I'm looking at these suits and stuff, saying, fascinated. And I remember there was a whole bunch of Elizabethan suits there. I mean, guys from... You know, right in the middle of the Elizabethan period, 1560 or something. There they are. See, they're all walking around. Suits are hanging up there. And they're the real thing. And they had these ruffs. You know, ruffs. You've seen pictures. Ruff, the thing that goes around your neck. R-U-F-F, ruff. And they, they had these wide ruffs. You see pictures of Sir, Sir Francis Drake wearing this ruff around his neck. Well, all the gentry, apparently, of that period wore this ruff. And I imagine... There must have been a reason, and, and, and if they, you know, and if you were to ask them about it, they would, they would not even. It was just so natural to figure everybody wears a ruff, and they could not imagine a world where people didn't wear ruffs. I think the hats in the same category. I mean that, you know, that hat as worn as constantly going. Sure, there are times when you need a hat for the sun, you need a hat for the, uh, you know, for the rain or something. But the, but the figure, it, you can't go out without a hat. You're not, it's not right until you have a hat on. That's a different thing. You're not wearing it because of a reason. You're wearing it because people wear hats, <laughs> which is a different thing. And, and all these guys had on hats. Now, I'm sure that the, the, the rough, probably maybe they had bad spoons in those days. And you wear this rough that sticks out, see, and you're eating your soup. It prevents the soup from getting down on your new bobkin or jerkin or bobkiss or whatever the hell you're wearing down below that, see. Who knows? The hats. And And... You know, now when people get these hats on, they're consciously imitating a style. I said, well, they're going to go out and get themselves a, you know, a 1930s type hat. But that'll go. Styles go. But it wasn't a style then. It was, it was standard dress, not a style. That's different. You know, speaking of styles, I wonder how many women are still embarrassed by the fact that they've got in their closet a cartridge belt with these pistols they bought a couple of years ago. Do you remember with the bullets and all that stuff? That was a style lasted maybe eight or nine minutes. And you know, some of them went for three, four hundred bills. <laughs> How are you going to explain that to people? How do you explain it to yourself now? <laughs> you remember that? You know, in all of New York, it may surprise you, in all of New York, I think in, in probably 
six months of concentrated looking, and I look concentratedly, I've seen three people actually wearing the peasant dress. Remember all that hoopla? That went the way of the Nehru suits, didn't it? <laughs> it doesn't work so well with men. Uh, it, it works much easier with women. Uh, I don't know why. I, I suppose there are many reasons why, but uh, ours is not the comet. Ours is only merely to point out. Uh, but it's very hard to sell men uh, on a cockamamie style. Oh, there's a certain crowd that will always go for it. But I'm talking about the vast body. The roughs. Yeah, they call them a rough. They had a... <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, do you know that the that the pilgrims never wore stovepipe hats? You know those stovepipe hats you always see pictures of them with the silver buckle. Never worn those. Those never appeared uh, in the pilgrim world. They also never wore uh, shoes with silver buckles. That did not occur ever in the pilgrim world. And by the way, their clothing was extremely bright colored. They wore reds, mulberries, they wore greens and blues, no black, just very rarely. I mean, you know, where does this stuff start? 